0: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a speaking God. You speak to us in your word, and you speak to us as you work through the whole of history. As we come to your word, as we come to these names, may we see the Lord Jesus all the more clearly. Amen. The genealogy of Jesus I wonder what went through your mind as you first heard those words, as you realize we're going to spend the next 20, 25 minutes looking at a list of names. I mean, it's the third advent of Sunday, couldn't we look at the nativity? That's a bit more interesting, isn't it? That's about Jesus. Why waste some time looking at some archives? You can imagine uh, Matthew coming to you with his uh, first draft of his gospel, asking for feedback Oh, Matthew, absolutely love what you've written. And that that story about Jesus walking on water, brilliant. I loved it. I was just wondering, that bit with all the names that are hard to pronounce, is it essential to be there? I mean, couldn't you just go to the next section about Mary and Joseph and uh, the birth of Jesus, the wise men? Now, that's the real Tabasco. That's, That's the exciting stuff. And maybe when we read our Bible, that's how we feel. We, we come across some of these long genealogies, like, like the ones in Chronicles, and maybe you're just tempted to skim past them very quickly until it gets interesting again. I guess our experience of uh, genealogies is uh, from TV programs like uh, Who Do You Think You Are on the BBC. They take celebrities, they trace their family line, and they look for exciting things, maybe a, a king that they didn't know about or a an infamous murderer. All stuff that makes for interesting TV. I want to have you ever looked at your family tree? Um, I happen to have a very famous ancestor. I'm the uh, great, 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 great grandson of Henry Wellesley, first Baron uh, Cowley of Wesley. I, ha- I had to look up the name. Um, have you heard of him? No? Oh. well, I, I guess I, I suppose he was a, a slightly in the shadow of his older brother, um, Arthur Wellesley, first Duke of Wellington. So close. Um, now, this might be quite a fun anecdote, a little fun story to, to mention, but it doesn't really have much of an impact on me day-to-day or on my life. Some vague relation who did something a long time ago. And as we look at this genealogy, well, it's easy to think the same thing. You know, as long as we get to Jesus in the end, we make a big deal about him, then do we really need all these names? Well, what I'd like us to see um, today and this morning as we look at them is that actually this genealogy is a veritable treasure trove of truths about God. I want us to see today that God, and we've already heard about it this morning, that God is a promise-keeping God. Um, And that all these names, they don't just eventually lead to Jesus, but actually they tell us about what Jesus is doing and what God is doing as he sends the Lord Jesus. And so the first thing I'd like us to see is that we can trust God because he he keeps his promises. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now immediately Matthew is drawing our attention to two of the major characters of the Old Testament. Uh, Proving uh, your lineage was a big deal for the Jews in those days. Abraham was the first patriarch, the father of uh, all the people of Israel. But Matthew is doing more than just showing that Jesus is a genuine Hebrew. He is drawing our attention to the promises associated with the line. We've read just a moment ago the promises that God made to Abraham. Abraham. No. Okay. Um, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. The one man, Abraham, will become the father of many, in fact, of a whole nation. Too many to count, like the stars, and they will be given a land, a kingdom. Their enemies will be pushed back. God would do all these things. As we read in Genesis, then into Exodus, we can see God keeping his promises. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah and his brothers, well, they were the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, and so by the time they settled in Egypt, there were 70 of them. They were growing in number. They continued to grow, and over 400 years, They're turned into slaves in Egypt because they fear their number. And recently we've just finished a series in Exodus looking at how God delivers them from slavery with a mighty hand and carried them on eagles' wings. And by the time Joshua leads them into the Promised Land, well, there were millions of them. And by the time David is on the throne of Israel, well, everything seems to be fulfilled. God has kept his promise to Abraham. They are numerous descendants, like the stars. They live in a land with his blessing. They have his king ruling over them. And in fact, God repeats his promise to King David. I will make your name great. I will provide a place for my people, Israel. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he shall be my son amazing promises and indeed when the Queen of Sheba comes to visit David's son Solomon she declares praise be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for his people Israel he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed that is what Abraham had declared Uh, uh, what God had declared to Abraham. God's promises were to bless his people and to turn them in turn as a blessing to the world. So let me ask you a question. Is that what you think? When you look at the world around you, do you think God's promises kept? Now imagine a first century Jew looking at the world around him. What might he be thinking? I guess you might be you'd probably excuse him for thinking that something has gone horribly wrong. Because following the rise of Abraham up to the dizzying heights of the glory of King David, well, then things take a turn. By the time his grandson is on the throne, the kingdom has split, and he's only king of two of the tribes. Civil war rages, and foreign superpowers begin to take it in turns to start invading and following a succession of really, really evil kings. while well, they turn their backs on the Lord. Jerusalem falls, is destroyed, and with it, the kingdom of Israel and the royal line. The people are taken into captivity. And even though 70 years later, some of them can come back and attempt to rebuild, well, things are never quite the same. There isn't a king like David on the throne. And then by the end, Another other superpowers in charge, Rome. So what of these promises to Abraham? Has God kept them? Let's look at the genealogy again. Starting with Abraham, things go up to the high point with David, with that first cycle of 14 genealogies. Then we have that second cycle, which drops down. But then where does that third cycle end up? Look with me at verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The genealogy ends where it began, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, that word Messiah means anointed one. It's the same word that we use for Christ. They, they both mean the same thing, What one in Hebrew, What one in Greek. And being anointed was a way of being shown that you were set apart for a special and specific role, chosen by God. Um, so in the Old Testament, kings were anointed, as well as prophets and high priests. It involves a little bit of oil being poured over the head of the person, of a sign that they've been chosen by God. And that's actually something we still do in our country. So Queen Elizabeth, our late queen, when she was um, uh, crowned, she was anointed, a little bit of oil pulled over her head. And later this year, our king, Charles III, will be anointed on the 6th of May. And so as the hearers hear this genealogy and they hear the word of the Messiah, the anointed one, well, they would be immediately thinking about the divinely appointed king, a saver they are waiting for, promised by God, who would be at the royal line of David. So having gone from Abraham to David to the exile, well then, as another cycle completes, we end up with an anointment, a promised Savior King. Matthew is showing us with this pattern that the waiting time is over. He has taken us through the whole history of Israel, and with these cycles, he's showing that the, the preparation, the waiting time is over, and the time for fulfilling the promises has come. And there's a sense he has been keeping his promises, but these ones are going to be far more significant. And in fact, that the whole point of the whole of history has been this relentless working towards this point, the arrival of the Messiah. Matthew is telling us that God is keeping his promises. Yes, he kept them, but people messed them up. But now God is keeping his promises in a more significant way, in a more glorious way, in a way that we can't mess up or ruin or undo. The coming of Jesus is the keeping of his promise once for all. Jesus is the one who fulfills the promise to Abraham uh, to gather at all sorts of different people. Just look around you. You can see lots of different people, different backgrounds. And not just from different parts of London, but from all over the world. God has kept his promise. We can trust him. We are all children of Abraham. And, and that, should, that should fill us with joy. Because we can have this confidence. And when so Jesus will come again, we, we've talked about this already this morning. We can be confident look around again these are the people who are going to be gathered into the new creation with you to praise God for all eternity I I don't know all of you well yet and yet we are brothers and sisters and so we will be gathered together in the same family praising the Lord God keeps his promises so we can trust him how wonderful is that and what's more, have you noticed that everything we've seen so far, it is not any of the people doing anything, just like it isn't any of what we do that has done anything to be deserving this. In fact, as we've briefly seen, uh, it's quite the opposite. The, the people have been far from, un, um, far from impressive. They've been quite the opposite. And so as um, God is the one who keeps his promises, well, so we can trust him but also we will want to live for him. And we can live for him with confidence. Confidence because, uh, not because we're trying to get things right by our own efforts, but because he is the one who keeps his promises. And so that's our, our second point. God keeps his promises, so we can live for him with confidence. Now we've already done a quick high speed tour of the history of Israel. But if I may just pick out a few individuals in this list that Matthew has given us. Now you see right from the start we have Abraham. Well Abraham was nothing special. You see, God chose him, it wasn't the other way around. God chose him and then God made a promise to him, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Now remember Abraham, by that point he was very old. His wife was also very old, she was barren, they had no children. and so. Well, Abraham thought maybe he could try and have a child with another wife and try and sort of help God God keep his promise. Uh, But God said, no, I keep my promises. And so he gave him Isaac through Sarah, even though she was almost 100 years old. God is the one who keeps his promises, not Abraham. Then Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, well, they had the same problem. She couldn't have children but God keeps his promises, and she was able to conceive. Uh, Twins, actually. Uh, Jacob, he married his two sisters, um, Rachel and Leah, and would you believe it or not, they also had issues when it came to conceiving. And yet between them, they mothered the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you you see what's going on? The issues with conception, in the first place, make it absolutely clear that it isn't man who is trying to do things, but it is God who is working all things in order to fulfill his promises. It isn't people giving him a helping hand. The exodus in Egypt after that, entirely God's doing. Remember the 10 plagues? Remember the judgment? And yet the rescue in amongst all that? The opening of the Red Sea? God. Who defeated the Egyptian army and Pharaoh? God. He promised he would. He made the Israelites defeat all their enemies as they entered the land. Even King David, the greatest king ever to rule over Israel. Remember, he was the youngest, the most insignificant of all his brothers. And yet God picked him, made him king, and made him the greatest. Yet, did you notice the way Matthew describes him for us? Just look with me at verse 6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew reminds us of David and a particularly dark time in his life. His army was at war, and he was back at home, just uh, relaxing in Jerusalem. He got up quite late one afternoon from a nap and was just taking a stroll and saw Bathsheba, a really beautiful woman. Uh, He had her brought to him, and he slept with her. He was a king. She was in no position to stand up for herself. He abused his power, and he abused Bathsheba. That was rape. But then it gets worse, because Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and since her husband was away fighting David's war, well, he panics. He fears being exposed, and so he has Uriah murdered, and then takes Bathsheba as his wife. Can you see? It is not the people who are doing or enabling anything. God is the one who keeps his promises in spite of the very people he is keeping his promises for. David's actions could have ruined everything. In fact, they should have ruined everything. Our actions ruin everything. Yet God keeps his promises. If we are here today as God's people, well, it is not by our own doing. Even at our best, like David's, we will always end up disobeying. Now, we might not commit murder, but nevertheless, we still fall short of God, and it makes no difference in the end. Our only hope is that God will maintain his promise to us in spite of what we do. God is the one who keeps his promises, and that is actually liberating for us, because it frees us to live for him. Because if he keeps his promises then we know we can live for him in spite of our failings. Look at David again. When he's confronted with his sin, he was able to repent and throw himself at the mercy of his heavenly father. Now, he may have had to continue to live with the consequences of his sin, and I would argue that many of the events in the following years with his children are directly... Connected to his actions then. But nevertheless, he is restored and he is completely forgiven. David lived for the Lord as one of his people. Not trusting in himself. No, he did. he did so precisely because he knew his sin. And he knew the God that he trusted. The God who keeps his promises. That is the distinctive marker, I suppose, of those who follow God and those who trust his promises. They will live for him, knowing what he has done for them." And that is actually what characterizes all all the women that were in amongst this genealogy. Did, Did you notice them in the list? It's quite unusual. Clearly, Matthew wants to draw our attention to them. Now, we don't have enough time to go into the details of each one, so can I encourage you to read about all of them and then Come and chat to me and tell me what you think. I would love to hear it. But one thing that is apparent is that they are all people that, by virtue of their background or the circumstances they're in, well, they find themselves in compromising situations that puts them outside of God's people. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and even Mary, either by being from Israel's sworn enemies, like from Moab or Canaan, or by the way they were treated by others, or simply by being pregnant in unconventional circumstances. They are all outsiders. Yet, uh, some of them make, make some choices. They align themselves with God and his people and his plan, and they are subsequently brought in to God's people. And even more so, because they all become mothers in Israel's royal line, which leads to the Lord Jesus. You see, in spite of all the messiness Of our lives, look at David and the other names in that genealogy. God is happy to bring these people together as part of his plan and for his son to be born into that family. If we choose to live for him and are not ashamed of him, well, in spite of all our failings, Jesus won't be ashamed to call us his own. This is the world he was born into. God keeps his promises. So as I finish, I would like to share a few applications or a few suggestions as to what living for Jesus with confidence is going to look like. Do you think that you have messed up maybe once too many times? That this time your sin has gone too far? Remember this list. Look at the names on it. Jesus is not ashamed to use these people for his promises. Or maybe it's not the sin that's burdening you, but you feel like you have the weight of the world on you. You have many sorrows. Well, the history there shows us that in spite of everything, God is working all things, and he will keep his promises to you. Or maybe things are going really well. You feel like you are living for Jesus and doing a really good job well, again, this list reminds us that sin is everywhere, and it's a warning not to become complacent or to be too pleased in ourselves. It is God who keeps his promises, not us. Or maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here today. Maybe you're a visitor. I'm so pleased that you could be here today because this genealogy is for you. It is a call to come and see the Messiah, the anointed Savior and King, who wants you to join his family. Maybe you are a parent and you have children. Well, this list should be a reminder that our children won't automatically be believers just because we are. Some of the worst kings in this genealogy had some of the most pious fathers. This list should push us to pray every single day of our life for our children, asking that God would bring them into his people. So finally, every time you hear any of these names, every time you read through that genealogy, remember the history, remember the promises, and trust God joyfully that he will keep them. And so you can live for him confidently. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, the son of Abraham. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord of the world and of all history, we thank you for sending your Son, the Messiah, your anointed King. Thank you that you have worked all things through history, building up to this moment of his coming. And in fact, it was always your perfect plan to fulfill all your wonderful promises in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the certainty, the hope, the confidence it gives us today as we live for him. Help us to see our world through your sovereign plan, that as you gather your people, we may be a blessing to your world. And as we celebrate his birth this Christmas, would we see in him all your promises and long for the day he returns in glory for his eternal praise.